0: Wow, thank you for that uh, absolutely stunning introduction, Tim. I uh, When I got here, I had a different shirt on, and so uh, I was given a shirt. Thank you very much. So I went over here, and I, I took off the uh, uh, shirt I had and switched it, and Tim goes, wow, you certainly don't have the body you had in college. <laughs> yeah, well, that's calling the kettle black. So... uh, so anyway, it is great to be here. Uh, so Tim sent me, uh, a little bit of what went out for the promotion and says here, uh, did you guys get this? Uh, Doug wants to do breakfast with you. Do you see that? He's even flying 3000 miles to spend one and a half hours with you about uh, with you and about a hundred other harborside guys. Anybody read that? Yeah, when you first read that, what did you first think? Like, this this guy's desperate (laughs) to fly 3,000 miles. Well, yeah, I guess I'm a little desperate. And then uh, it goes down to say, uh, those successful in business... Uh, Doug Engberg humbly shares spiritual lessons he has learned in the past 20-something years. I need to make a slight correction to that comment. It's actually spiritual lessons I'm still continuing to learn. Because that sort of implies that, you know, I'm now a learned man, right? That I have arrived, that I've kind of have it all together, and that I hardly ever sin, and that all of my decisions are really good decisions. Um, I'd like to be able to say that, but the fact is, is that I came to Christ as a young man in high school, and this road, this journey I've been on, has had lots of pitfalls because most of the suffering that I've encountered in my life has been self-inflicted but i always love that scripture in romans 8:28 and it's just a wonderful scripture that god causes all things to work together for those who love him he causes all things even the naked decisions that we at times make as men and i guarantee you in this room probably most all of you have made some kind of decision or Something in your life that was really counterproductive and, and had some consequences to it. All of us. We all have. I have. So when Tim asked the question about uh, how many kids you got, and I said, he goes, four or five. go, well, yeah, f- five. I was previously married, and um, I actually have a daughter that is 32 and uh, soon to be 33, uh, married, lives in Tulsa, and I am a grandfather. I know, I know what you're thinking. There is no way you think I look too young, and I just want to thank you for that. But I have a two-and-a-half year old granddaughter and about a six-month-old grandson, and uh, it is much better to be a grandfather than a father. But Margot and I have been married 14 years. We have adopted four children, and uh We have, uh, they're now 18, 16, 13, and 8. And uh, so the the 18 and 16-year-old were ages 8 and 10 when we brought them home from Guatemala. Three are from Guatemala, one from the Seattle era. She's biracial, father's African-American, the mother's white, they were not married. He was in prison. She fled for California. He was abusive. He was a level three sex offender. He had multiple felonies. We were asked to uh, adopt her, which we had already become bonded to her. We took her into our home and started the battle with the court system in Seattle, one of the most liberal and most difficult counties in the world is Seattle. But we won through that battle and officially adopted Jasmine in March of 07. We just had her. And um, I'm thinking I'm kind of getting old to have a uh, a daughter. I already got one that's you know out of college. And I feel like I'm starting over. And, uh, and then Margot goes, "Now, just so you know, I don't want her to be an only child." And I said, "Well, I'm an only child." And she said, "That's my point." <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So if you know my wife, or if you ever met my wife, you'd understand that if you give her an inch, she's going to take a mile. This woman is relentless. When she gets on to something, she goes for it. So she started the process of investigating where we could adopt, and uh, she had this heart for Guatemala, and that's now you can't adopt out of Guatemala because it's now a closed country, but we did uh, go to Guatemala, and we actually went... Uh, down for one child, and we ended up coming home with three. That's another story. So now 18, 16, 13, and 8. I will be 68 years old when my youngest graduates from high school. Not that that bothers me, but I've always had this fear that I'm going to be at my daughter's graduation and someone come up, comes up to me and goes, oh, it's so great that your grandfather could be here at your graduation. Oh, I'm her dad. Come on, let's get it straight. So I will tell you that this journey has been something I never dreamed would ever happen. But you know, this journey has always been easy. It was in... Uh, January of 2012, when I was at home, laying on the couch, late one evening, I don't even know what the program was on TV, that's not important, but the TV was on, all the kids were around, I'm laying on the couch, and all of a sudden, as I'm laying there, I felt something weird happen to my chest, and it's like my heart just literally physically kind of flipped over. And it spooked me. It scared me. So I sat up real quick, and I remember my youngest going, Daddy, are you okay? And I go, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, I'm, I'm okay. And I stood up, and I started feeling dizzy. And I, I didn't want my kids. I didn't want my wife to know what was going on. I just, Because I, I, was, I was petrified. I was fearful. So I walked off into another room, and I was, I was trying to get my air. And I thought, am I now having a heart attack? being stubborn, I did not call 911. I did not call my wife. I just kind of hid thinking this is going to pass. This isn't real. This isn't really happening. This is not. I'm, I'm totally okay. And that went on for three days until finally I go, I think I need to go to the emergency room. Went to the emergency room. Of course, the first thing they do is they hook you up, and they want to know if your heart's okay, right? So they hooked me up, and they said, uh, Mr. Engberg, uh, your heart seems to be just fine. And I said, but I don't know. I feel like I'm dying. I feel like I'm having a heart attack. I mean, my arms are feeling really funny, and my, my, my hands are weak, and, I, and I, just, I just don't feel like I can breathe right. What is going on here? And they go, well, I, I don't know. Have you ever heard of anxiety? And I go, yeah, but no, this is this really is happening. They said, well, your heart's fine. So I, uh, I left and uh, went home. And with another day, I started getting that feeling that something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. And I went back to the emergency room. Pretty soon, I needed a punch card. I mean, come on in. So I went in, and they checked out my heart. And they said, uh, no, you're... You don't, you don't have a heart attack. Gentlemen, from mid-January till about mid-April of 2012, I went through the darkest time of my life. I don't know if you've ever experienced any kind of anxiety or panic attacks but I was so gripped with fear that I thought I was going to die. I thought one of my children was going to die. It was the biggest attack I've ever experienced in my life. I had a hard time functioning. I felt like I was in a bubble and that everything around me was surreal. It was just a dream. I could not put one or two sentences together. I couldn't look at anybody in the eyes. I felt like I could look through the person. Right through them. I couldn't connect. I couldn't think. I thought I was dying. And you know what? When you have all these different symptoms having your body, the worst thing you can do is what? Google it. Because then all of a sudden I have every medical problem known to mankind. And I was gripped with so much fear. I lost... Thirty pounds in three weeks. I stopped eating. I couldn't sleep. My wife was in tears, thinking I was what? Where's my husband going? My kids didn't know me. I was totally spaced. I was in and out of the hospital or in, into the emergency room, in and out, talking to my doctor. I was I I was absolutely petrified. But this is what happened. I would literally we had this little library in our house, and I remember I. Uh, Nights were horrible for me. But I remember I would I in one morning I would go in four or five in the morning, shut the door, get on my knees, open up the Bible to the book of Psalms. I thought, well, I know about this guy named David. He kind of went through a whole kind of bunch of stuff. And I would try to read the book of Psalms and I would try to pray. But as I tried to read, I would just literally, I would just sit here and just cry. I could not stop crying. And about the only thing that I could even mouth was help, help. What was going on in my life? Why was I falling apart emotionally? Why was I, why was I gripped with so much fear? What was going into my heart that I couldn't even exist? I could hardly even hold my job. I could hardly even hold my marriage. My kids didn't know who I was. And I remember just just bawling as I would be trying to read. And I'd say, God, what, what are you doing? What is going on here? And for the first time in my life, I actually thought I would rather be dead didn't go through this anymore. And I had a big bottle of lorazepam. And I came so close to taking the whole thing. Because I thought, I can't live like this. There's a scripture that says, it's the loving kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And I remember one morning... And it was towards the end of this four month, very dark moment when I was on my knees and I hear this very small voice Doug, trust me. Trust me. Now I know we hear lots of things trust in the Lord. Yeah, good idea. Trust God, He's always faithful. You know, Scripture says He'll never leave you or desert you. He's with you. He'll never fail you. See, I I knew all that in my head. But there was a part of me, man, I'm just going to be gut-level honest to you. There was a a part of me that was just hanging on to a few things because because I thought, I'll give you about 85%, but there's about 10, 15 or so percent in there that I really want to hang on to myself because you might make me have to do something like Become a missionary to Africa or, you know, I might have to do this or you might cause that. I was just in such fear about that. But I kept hearing this still, small voice in my life. Trust me. Trust me with your children because you are youngest, which I didn't share with you. When we brought her home from Guatemala, ended up in children's hospital, and we thought she was going to die. She had so many medical issues, and I can remember just bawling and crying and pleading to God, please, you know. I don't. Hey, I, I had my oldest went through uh, years of being a meth addict, and I can remember just on my knees, just praying and begging God. Have you ever been in that state where you're praying? Nothing breaks the heart of a uh, of a, a father or mother more than when your child is wayward, when they're in some other world, when they're doing other things that you only want them to know who this God is and how much they're loved. and I can remember just pleading with God it was a, it was such desperation and 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 so I, I just I hear this voice, Doug, just trust me. And I remember guys, look, look I, I, this is this isn't anything deep, but I can just remember saying, okay, I'm going to mouth the word, I trust you. Even though I didn't necessarily totally feel it, I just said, Lord, I'm going to say it. I trust you with my life. And I started saying that and started trying to hear this voice from the Spirit saying, Doug, I love you. And then all of a sudden, things begin to think about the cross and about Jesus and His incredible grace and His mercy I began to think about all the decisions I'd made in life and how I've, it was so self-inflicted and how the, I'd hurt some, of the, some people in my life because of my decision-making. And I came to the conclusion that there is a God. He loves me deeply and that He is faithful and that He'll never leave me nor forsake me. And all of a sudden, after about four months and being in that darkness, I begin to see some of the light. Now, have I arrived? Oh no. This gentleman is an ongoing battle for me. How am I doing on time? Okay. Um, so, <clears throat> several years ago, I was living in Denver, and uh, it was uh, 1984. And, uh, I, um, for some reason I wanted to take up running. That was my goal. I was going to take up running. The reason I wanted to take up running was because I wanted to run in this race. In Denver, there's this park called Cherry Creek. Anybody ever heard of Cherry Creek? You know, it's some, okay. So Cherry Creek Park. And, uh, every spring they have, uh, the 5k race there and I wanted to compete in it. And, uh, so uh, there was a guy who was a cross-country coach in a local school that I was really good friends with, and I went to him, and I said, hey, I'm going to run in the Cherry Creek Run here in a couple months, and I want to start training for it, and I and I, I really think I could win this thing. He was only like, oh, okay, whatever, you know, several thousand people run in it, but hey, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to kind of do to train, and this I think you should do to eat, uh, and uh, he just gave me all the kind of the tips of how to prepare for the race. So fast forward to the day of the race. It was a Saturday, and if Anything about, anything about Colorado weather, uh, one day it can be a blizzard. The next day it can be 75 degrees. Well, it was one of those days when it was very warm for spring. It was in its mid-70s. It was unusually hot. And uh, there were several thousand runners. And uh, so I get there, check in, get my number. And, uh, I mean, there's lots of people. So where do you think I placed myself? Uh, Very good. Who said that? Yes, thank you. You're right. I placed myself in the front. Because I placed myself in the front, I felt that that's the place you need to be because if you're going to win it, you need to run with the big dogs. You need to be right there at the front. Of course, I'm sizing them all up. They look rather skinny and got the little black socks and kind of silky looking shorts and tank tops. And they look kind of goofy, geeky. And I thought, they don't look athletic. There's nothing athletic about these guys. I'll just go right on up to the front. So I went up to the front. The gun sounds. So I take off. Now, I remember this coach guy said, now, Doug. There's a thing called pacing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 I heard that. Pacing. Okay, boom. I take off at a dead sprint. I am cooking. And we get to mile marker number one, and there's a timekeeper out there, and he's calling out the time. And as I hit mile marker number one, I hear 355. I'm joking, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, like really? you guys have got this guy's a this guy's a liar, but I did hear I did hear five fifty five five fifty six and I hit it right about six minutes. Now, okay, come on, come on, that's not bad, not bad, okay? All right, thank you. so. It was somewhere around a mile and a quarter, maybe. Somewhere in that time frame, that, that distance, when I hit what was called the, the wall. Now, in all my so-called training, I've I'd I'd never hit the runner's wall. I didn't even know what the wall was. I had no idea. I'd heard about the runner's wall, but I had not physically went through the runner's wall or had to experience it. So when I hit what was called the runner's wall, my first thought was, "Oh, I'm going to die." <laughs> no, I, and that's I, seriously, I'm I'm I, I am going to die because every inch of my body went into complete meltdown, went into complete contraction. Uh, my my lungs were heavy, and I was breathing so hard. I felt like my uh, my my heart was like beating like throughout of my chest, and uh, and I was breathing so hard. I began to get a sore throat. My legs felt like total lead, and I'm and so it's not like a circular track. It's you're going through this beautiful park, and it's this beautiful day, right? And so as you're kind of running, in fact by the way, I was. When I hit that six minute, there were a few people in front of me, but there was a whole lot of people behind me, tons of people. But a, when I hit that mile and a quarter, mile and a half mark, and I hit that wall, obviously I went into slow-mo. And all those people that were behind me began to pass me, like you know old people and bikes and trikes and people with Walkmans and all. You know, just it was... I, I was like, uh-uh, you know. And so I got slower and slower. And then I took my eyes off of the, the path and I started looking around and I saw families sitting off to the side having uh, 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 watermelon and nice burgers and chicken and every, little kids kind of playing in the water. And, and I kept thinking, I'm just going to go join one of them. I mean, I, I was just like, I'm, I'm done with this. But for whatever reason, I just kind of kept on going. And I remember thinking, though, before this race, that uh, this is 1984. I actually, okay, you guys, I, I, I never claimed to be very smart. After all, I did go to Ozark with Tim. And, uh, but I actually thought that this may be the first start for 88 Seoul Olympics, yeah, Carl Lewis, Doug Ingberg, I knew. It. I just felt that there was some real possibilities. Well, that all went up in flames real quick, and uh, and I remember as we began to get towards the end of the race, I was one of the last ones to finish, and when I finished the race, I literally fell on my face, and I thought, never will I ever do this again. Let me just say, you know, we talk about lessons learned or lessons we are learning. Uh, Let me just give you just a couple of things about that that I think I find interesting. Uh, One thing, and this goes through with all my anxiety that I've dealt with. This goes through, uh, you know, where God has used a divorce to deal with the issues of my heart. Uh, where God has used some broken relationships to deal with some of the things of my heart, is that uh, that it's really important that we don't have an overinflated view of ourselves. I had a very overinflated view of myself. I, I, I nothing is m- more difficult to me than when you're dealing with someone who just doesn't see that they've done anything wrong, take no responsibility. Hard to be in relationship with brothers when you have a brother who doesn't take responsibility for their crap because it's hard to deal with that. And God stays very close to the humble, to the brokenhearted. And humility is one of the great characteristics of a follower of Jesus Christ. And so for me, when I went up to that race... I had a pretty overinflated view of myself because I sized up the competition. I go, yeah, they don't, they don't look good. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take them down. Well, that was totally wrong. Overinflated view of yourself. In fact, in Romans 12:3 talks about not to have a more or have more uh, thoughts about you and who you are. It's a great chapter to read. The second thing is that I really didn't count the cost. I didn't understand what it required. And, you know, um, we have some of, in fact, I just talked to someone in here uh, just a little bit ago, just fairly new Christian. Praise God, you've entered in one of the most exciting races you'll ever enter in. And the cool thing is, you got a church, and you got some brothers that will help you complete the journey. And so, um, but there's always a cost. Uh, we, uh, you know, honestly, I know it's kind of different in different parts of the country, but um, where I live, uh, it's uh, it's. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are absolutely hated. Uh, it's just the way it is. It's not. Uh, there's not too many what I would call cultural Christians in the Seattle area. Either you are in or you are out, and um, you're called for it. And and those who are followers of Jesus are absolutely ridiculed for being who they are in our in our county. It's uh, it's it's very uh, it can be very divisive, and so counting the cost. Um, I have some other things I was going to share, but I'm, I'm going to leave that off because of time. But the last thing I want to say is this, is that uh, my problem was when I ran in that race, I ran alone. And if I can leave you with anything, it's this, is that every one of us need brothers to run with. And so the question I have for you, who are your 2 a.m. friends? So that when your friend at 2 a.m. or you call, isn't going, dude, do you know what time it is? Why are you calling me? Can't this wait till tomorrow? No, he needs you now. And God has created us to be in community. When I went through my four month and really kind of ongoing. Bits of an uh, fits of anxiety. It was a couple of men in my life that really walked with me through this very very dark period of time. My wife was petrified. She she thought, "Am I losing you?" And but it was some trusted men in my life who genuinely stood with me really through my darkest time. Father, um, I thank you for these brothers, and I thank you for their each one's story. I thank you for their journey. I know, God, that all of us are on a journey with you, and, Lord, it's our desire to finish this race well, to finish strong. And, God, I am convinced, Lord, as I'm standing here today, Lord, for I I know the men you've put in my life, like Ted and Paul and Tim and Michael and Chris and Scott. These are men, Lord, that, um, that I know, Lord, that you have blessed me with. I pray that you would give us these kind of relationships. I know, Lord, there are are those in this room who have those kind of relationships. But for those, Lord, in here who don't, Lord, I pray they would find that. Thank you, God, that we're just passing through in this life. I pray that you would use us for your glory, that we would honor you. Lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the grace that covers our lives, for the cross, what that means. Thank you. In Jesus name. Amen. Thank you, Thank you man.